Thank you, Jeff. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Second Chronicles chapter um, <laughs> chapter something? Yeah, chapter seven, verse fourteen. Just find a place, and it'll be there. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Jeff, for that. Thank you, Murray, for uh, playing. That's so well, and and I I think we need a special applause. I don't, I think she left, but Gina did such a great job in Vacation Bible School. Let's let's give her a hand and do that. She just really did a good job. Now there were uh, three uh, two men who were uh, working by a lady's house, and one was digging a hole, and the other was covering it up, and um, so. They were from the city, and they were the maintenance crew, and one was named Jim, the other Maurice, and the other named Sam. And so she finally watched them as they dug a hole and covered it up and dug a hole and covered it up. And so finally she went out and asked them and said, um, what are you guys doing? They said, well, we're a tree planting team from the city, and the first one digs a hole, the second one, Maurice, he plants a tree, and the third one covers it up. But Maurice couldn't come to work today. So uh, we needed the work time. So they were out there digging a hole and covering it up, digging a hole and covering it up. Uh, and here's the, there's a point in this, so if you get it, the main thing was missing. Do you hear that? The main thing was missing. I think in a lot of ways, without Christ in our world, and Christ in our church, and Christ in our government, and Christ in our nation, and Christ in our homes, what happens is that we have an empty activity that digs holes and covers them up, and digs holes and covers them up. Because the most important thing seems to be missing. And there seems to be a gradual process in that. It's kind of drifted away and drifted away and drifted away. And God knew that that was going to happen at the temple. And so in Second Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon has prayed for the temple. It took him seven years to build that temple. But he built the temple and it's a beautiful, beautiful display. It was torn down by the uh, Syrians and Babylonia, Babylonians who came in and just decimated the place and Herod built it back, but it was never the splendor that Solomon had had in building that. David was told he couldn't build the temple. And so Solomon, his son, completed what David never, uh, never was able to do. But when he prayed, he asked for God's presence to come in that building. Because without God's presence, that building was just an empty exercise. So the most important thing was to have God's presence. But he knew there was this drifting part in people's lives, and that's kind of drifting away. So as they drifted away from God, God drifted away from them. And by the way, he left at the eastern gate, and the Muslims had found that eastern gate, and they've concreted it up because God's going to come back through that eastern gate. But that concrete's not going to keep God from coming when he comes. But he told them a way to come back. 
as a way, as a comeback way. And here's his way to come back. There's a way I feel like that we have, we used to be a Christian nation at one time we were. But we still have Christians in our nation. And I think Christians in our nation can make a difference in the world in which we live in. But so often the problem is that we back down rather than standing up. And things kind of drift kind of away. I want to challenge you to be to stand up for the Lord where you are and wherever place that God has placed you. And here's what we do. So in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us verse 14? Um, This is a clause that says there's a part here for you and me to do and then there's a part that God promises to do. If my people, so the address is not to those outside in the culture outside the church. The address is to you and me who claim to know Christ as our Savior. If my people, who are called by my name, and here's the first part, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked way. The then comes after the first part. First part is our part. Then the then comes. And the then says this. I will hear from heaven. And will forgive your sins. And will restore your land. May God. May we see that happen in our time. May God bless the reading of his word. And you may be seated. And as you're seated, would you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17. You know that, and I know that story. It was my favorite story in the Bible. I'm, as a long, uh, young boy, I kind of valued that even above the cross. I love to hear about David and Goliath, taking on Goliath. And there have been so many uh, devotionals given at football meetings before you went and played football or basketball or baseball. And this is one of the favorite stories, to go out there and face whatever your Goliath is. But we have Goliath coming at us in different kind of ways. And I think the different kind of ways we have Goliath coming at us, sometimes it's an addiction. Sometimes it's a complicated problem that we face. Sometimes it's a... Democrat, sometimes it's a Republican. Sometimes it's a divided Congress. Whatever, there are Goliaths that we face and will try to challenge us as Christians. And the big part of us is will we stand up or will we back down? And that's a big question. Uh, What's going to happen in the future? I wish I knew a... Uh, had a had a ball, crystal ball, that I could see what was going to happen in the future. But I know some things that are going to happen in the future, and they're kind of obvious. One is this: life will be faster. It will be faster, and there'll be more um, um, internet um, inventions and more kind of ways that will push life faster. So it comes at you kind of fast. And when I grew up, they, we didn't have the internet, amen? And um, George Washington was my friend and all those kind of things. So 
some of you remember George Washington, but anyway, um, we were in we were in Washington, and we were at the National Cathedral, and we had our ten-year-old grandson with us. And so we wanted to get to the White House, and it's when you could go visit in the White House. And so I gave my ten-year-old my cell phone. Now that's 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 dangerous to do that, but he knows more about it than I do. And so I said, get me from the National Cathedral to the White House. Ten years old. But he did it. He got us right there. If it had been me, I'd still be circling around Washington trying to find my way out. But there's a generation that knows that cell phone. They know it. But things are going to get faster and faster and faster. There's a problem. We get shallow. The faster we go, the shallower it gets. And the more stress. And you snooze, you lose. And it's quick and it's there. And quality time is kind of missing the faster you go. And my grandmother and granddaddy used to sit on the front porch and rock at night. They just rock because there was no TV to watch. And they had that quality time. And you couldn't just sit there. You had to shell peas and, and do something with the corn and all this other while you were sitting there. And you just sit there and rock. But that quality time is missing. When was the last time you had your family at the table and not at a drive through And there were french fries in between the seats from the last time you drove through. Life is kind of faster. We don't have time to do that. And there's going to be something missing in that time and more stress is going to come. Feelings will be higher. Fear will grow. And anger will kind of be out there. Another thing that will happen in the future is decisions will be more complicated. Because I remember when we did have TV, the only stations we got were Montgomery Station and there were two of them there. And my daddy would take the uh, rotator on our antenna. Any of you ever had an antenna on your house? Would you raise your hand? You're old people if you had an antenna on top of your house. But my daddy sold antennas, so we had the best. We always prayed for some kind of bad weather to come through because it'd blow down all those antennas. And we, amen, praise the Lord, my daddy sold antennas. But you would take that rotator and go, and on a clear day, you could almost get Birmingham. But now you got 589 choices there on the television set. And all of them are bad, by the way. But anyway, you got all these choices that are there, and choices will be more complicated. Have you, ever try, have you tried to get toothpaste lately? It's just so many options that are out there available. It kind of causes distress. Which one am I going to get? Which one am I get? This one's been banned and they're calling, recalling these and all this kind of stuff. And, but decisions will be complicated. But here's what bothers me is values. Values that we've held so dearly will be questioned. And as a generation will grow up saying, this used to be wrong, but it is not wrong anymore. 
And this is damnation, but this is salvation. And this used to be salvation, but now it's kind of damnation. And there's a generation growing up that are accepting things that would never have been accepted years ago. And God we trust is written on our money. And it was passed by Congress under Dwight D. Eisenhower. And there's uh, 80% of those said that they ought to stay there in God we trust. Except in the college age group, only 53% said it ought to still be there. You hear that gradually coming down and gradually holding that in God we trust. Because we're not a nation that's in God we trust. We're now a nation that in money we trust or in politics we trust or you name it, you fill in that blank. What is it that we trust? Well, God wants, us, wants to have our hearts. But we also have a generation growing up based on feelings and feelings kind of run the show and and Susan and I watched Hallmark the other night while I was getting ready for this sermon. I watched Hallmark and Lawrence Welk. <laughs> but Hallmark says, just follow your heart. But Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked. Just follow your heart, and that's where you get you. I read about a lady who was in nursing school. She came out of a class. It was during a raining down a day, a raining downpour. And she saw this man face down right there near a water um, place. And so she jumped out of her car and she threw this guy over, ripped open his shirt, started giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitations because she had just learned that in um, nursing school. And in between breaths, the man said this, I don't know what you're doing, lady, but I'm trying to get this drain unclogged. Now, she got a misread from her feelings, amen? Because feelings are not a true read. Yes, when I'm on a diet, I go by the donut place and my feelings tell me I need to have those dozen. Why you get one? You might as well get another one and just shoot them down. Country Western is the leading song these days. Eight uh, popular radio stations out of 34 or something, Country Western. I always heard that if you play it backwards, your truck comes back, your dog comes back, and your wife comes back. And the reason it's popular because feelings kind of run a show, and feelings are causing people to shoot each other, and causing this fear and anger that's kind of running through our world today. And it takes courage in the middle of that for you and I to stand up for God. I grew up in a neighborhood that kind of learned, uh, taught me how to fight in the middle of Third Avenue. Third Avenue, you just, you just kind of challenge people. And if you played baseball and somebody in the pitcher hit you with a baseball, you charge the mound. That's what you did. I mean, you're not going to let him get away with that. Or if you flip ball in your bottom pile, somebody stuck their finger in your eye, you got up and said, no, 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 don't do this again. 
when I was uh, in the first grade, I had my first fight with a guy who was a year older than me at bird school. And he called me a chicken. You don't call me a chicken from 3rd Avenue <laughs> without me doing something. And I lost the fight, but he never called me a chicken again. Uh, in the 10th grade, um, I was talking to my girlfriend out in front of school. You know why you talk to your girlfriend, you're being cool, and all those kind of things. Well, that was my girlfriend over there. So I was talking to Susan, and a guy hit me in the head with a rock. And so I turned around, and they were laughing. And so I said, who hit me? And this guy said, I did. What you going to do about it? Well, you know, I got to do something. One of us is going down, but something's got to be done. I mean, it's in front of my girlfriend. So I said, meet me on the tennis court at P.E. I don't know where the coaches went. They all disappeared. I think they were at the top of the gym watching the fight. And I took off my shirt, and he hit me while I was taking off my shirt. But the rest of the time, yes, sir. He apologized for hitting me with that rock. But there's a time you got to stand up. And I think that time is now in our homes, in our church, and in our nation. And Fairhope, they have Mardi Gras parades. I, Selma never trained me to deal with Mardi Gras. I don't think we've ever had a Mardi Gras parade. And they'd throw beads and and moon pies and stuffed animals. And, and Mobile is chaos. In New Orleans, is more chaos. But in Fairhope, it's kind of just a family time. But they wanted to open all the bars and let people go in and have free alcohol and all this stuff while the Mardi Gras prayed on. And several of us pastors got together, and several of the members of the church said, no, that's not what we want. And so we went to the city council and said, we don't want that. We want our, our community to be a family-friendly community. And alcohol just make, complicates things. It makes all kinds of problems, and we don't want it. And so they brought it up for the city council, and it died because it didn't have a second. Because there are times that you and I need to stand up for things that ought to be done in our community. But it takes courage to do that. And so far, the Christian church or our church and other churches have a background of backing down when they should have been standing up. And then we find situations like we find them like the Methodists facing even right now. Those things are going to come more in the future. And it's going to take Christians to stand up and face those kind of things. Now, if you have your Bibles, look in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know the story well. You've heard it. And I love to tell this story. And I've told it in so many places. But chapter 17, verse 1, the Philistines are pushing the Israelites. And the Philistines were a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites for a long time. All back to Joshua's time. Joshua was supposed to destroy those cities, but he didn't destroy them. And one of the cities that he did not destroy was the city of Gath. Philistines had two things going for them that the Israelites did not have. They had iron. 
And when you hit somebody over the head with a stick like the Israelites, it didn't hurt as bad as somebody hitting you over the head with a piece of iron and boom. They also had wheels. So that made them mobile. That's a good word. I've heard that from mobile. Not mobile, but mobile. Okay. So they were mobile. So they fought in the valleys rather than in the mountains because they could move their chariots uh, in the valley. And so one day the armies were filled up. The Philistines are pushing the Israelites. They're pushing towards the heartland. They're only 15 miles away from where, Jerusalem, uh, where Bethlehem is. So they're coming close. And so the Israelites under Saul sent an army to face them. And they were on one side was the Israelite army, on the other side was the Philistine. And Saul was leading the Israelite army. And in between there came this guy. If you look in verse 4, there came this guy named Goliath. Now he's not a small dude, he's a big dude. If you were playing football and you arrived at a place, he would be the first one to get off the bus. Because he'd scare everybody else. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. And he was filled with bronze. And he looked like a nine foot, nine inch armadillo. Amen. He had all this bronze around him. Now, he, he wasn't mobile. But he was hostile. And he'd stand out there in the middle of Valley of Elah, which was in between the two places where they fought. And he would stand out there and he would challenge the Israelites to what's called representative combat. You bring your champion out, I'll be out here to face him. Nine foot nine inches tall. That's a big dude. Amen. Can you say an amen to that? That's an amen. And he was covered, they had bronze all over him. And the reason is because the arrows you shoot could not get to him. So you couldn't kill him from a distance. It had to be close up, close fighting. That's close fighting, hand-to-hand combat. And so send your champion, and I'm right here waiting. And he did it every morning and every evening for 40 days, almost six weeks. He would stand out there and challenge them every morning. The Israelites would gather, and when they would gather, they would have their time of meeting together, and they'd say, God is a great God, and our God is a great God, and he's with us, and we can take him. And then Goliath would stand out there, and it all melt, and they'd all run back to their old habits and their old ways. And sometimes we do that in worship. We worship about God as a mighty God. And yet we go back to lives that allow other things to control our life. And so he would do that every day. In fact, he challenged their manhood. The word defies in there. He challenged their manhood. In verse 10, the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day and give me a man. He come, that's, that's middle eight trash talk. Give me a man. Challenge their manhood, challenge their God. And the Israelites ran in fear. And they didn't trust God. They didn't trust that God was bigger than this giant. 
One person did. His name was David. In verse 17, David enters the story. And when David enters the story, he hears this giant giving his defying God. And David said, somebody ought to fight him. Somebody ought to fight him. And his brother said, you came here to mock us? Because his brother felt guilty that he wasn't out here trying to fight. And often what we have on our hearts and what we're guilty about will project this on the other people. And it's not so much them, but it's what's really struggling with. We project onto other people. But David goes before Saul, and Saul should have been the one. Saul was taller, had taller than anybody else in the group. But Saul is backing away from God. He doesn't trust God. There was a time maybe that he did trust God. But Saul's backing down when he should have been standing up. And so he gives out this, this was his response to Saul. I'll give my daughter to the one who will stand up and choose to fight this man. Not only that, but I will give him no, you pay no taxes. So a daughter and the taxes were this, his plan to pick some man who would stand up and go out there and fight that giant. Now, I read in a magazine, a farmer's magazine, where a farmer put this advertisement, wanted one wife with tractor. <laughs> that sounds like a farmer. <laughs> Please send picture of tractor. <laughs> uh, so David said, you know, what's going to get to this guy? Tell me that again. Uh, it's going to be this daughter, and really she turned out to be a problem to him. But no new taxes. Amen. Wouldn't that be great? No new taxes? But he didn't get a response even to that, except from David. And look what David says as he's confronted by Saul. Look, look at verse 36, uh, David, or verse 34, really. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion. Now lions are big and mean and ugly. And a bear. And I think Coach Bryant got his name from wrestling a bear. But there's a lion and a bear and they took out the sheep. And David said, you know, what's one sheep? <laughs> we got a bunch of them out here. Let's just give his sheep up. <laughs> But he didn't back down. You learn to trust by trusting. You learn to trust by trusting. And when you see God come through on those kind of points, then you're willing to trust him for other points. Susan and I, uh, when we started the seminary, I left the captain's hour and came to seminary. When I came to seminary, uh, we didn't have anything but GI Bill, which was very little. And we went to a meeting. When we went to a meeting, uh, 
This guy stood up and challenged us, give and it shall be given unto you. And said, oh, I don't know about that, but anyway, that sounds good. And so Susan said to me, uh, some of the greatest ideas we have is, came from my wife, but she said to me, um, you know, we need to give uh, 15% of our income. And I said, well, she said, God has laid it on my heart. And I said, well, you go back and talk to him. He didn't put anything on my heart. <laughs> and she said, I believe we need to give 15%. We're going to trust God. Let's trust him. So 15% of $130, you, man, that left out our meal at McDonald's. But uh, about a week later, she came back to me again and said, I think we need to give 20%. And I said, well, you go back and talk to him. He sure hadn't said anything to me about 20%. But we started giving 20%. And this is what happened. It is a lady from Wisconsin. I don't think I've ever been to Wisconsin. A lady from Wisconsin started sending us money every month. Um, I can't remember what it was. I just think it was something like $500. $500 to a starving seminary student is a lot of money. She continued to send that month, every month check every month. Her husband said he didn't want her given to the church. He was not a Christian. And she said, I want to send that to you guys. And every month, regular basis, so I went through and graduated with my master's and working on my PhD. She sent us that amount of money every month. That coincidence? It's trust. God will reward your trust. And so David had found God to be trustworthy. Saul didn't have that in his life. And so he backed down rather than standing up. And when David went out and fought Goliath and they, he picked up these five stones and when he picked up the five smooth stones because the smooth stones fit well in the pouch he was carrying and also as those stones will make an accurate sling with his, with his slingshot. And John, John was a big guy. It may take more than one shot to bring him down. But it only took one. It's kind of over before it even started. If you settled into your seats eating your popcorn, watching for a movie or a wrestling match or whatever you watch, then it would have been over before it even started. And down with the giant, and David cut his head off, and he held that head up, and God had come through in that moment because David trusted God to do great and mighty things. Now, we're living in a world that needs that kind of trust in this church. Because we're living in a community and a culture that wants to take away our Christian uh, values and take away those kind of things that mocks God's word. We're living in a country that does the same thing. It mocks God's word and take away those Christian values and bring in those kind of values that we do not agree with. So it takes that kind of courage to kind of stand up and trust God to do that. In our homes, it bothers me that they've taken um, out of public school, they've taken the Bible out of public school. 
Because we used to do the 23rd Psalm, pledge allegiance to the flag every morning at bird school. But, you know, you can't do that anymore. But what bothers me is not so much they've taken it out of the schools. What bothers me is it's not in homes. That's the biggest problem. I taught my boys to pray with your children. Have that time of prayer. When you sit down to a meal, you thank God for it. Before we went to bed at night, we'd read God's word and then put them in the bed. And Susan would go and say goodnight to each one of them. As husband and wife, Susan and I, every, every night, we all have our personal time in prayer. But every night, we hold hands and don't make it long because you get kind of tired at night. But we pray for each other. And let me tell you what doesn't work, doesn't work. Um, Lord, bless her and help her to see how wrong she is. That doesn't work. That doesn't go anywhere, by the way. Lord, bless us and help me to see how wrong I am. But if it's not in your home, it's going to have a hard time making it in your children's life. Put it in your home. It takes courage to do that. But put it in your home. Uh, this, by the way, this past couple of weeks, they've had so many problems with rip currents, and they just nine people have drowned from rip current. And they've come on television and showed you what you do when you get in a rip current. When my son was about uh, four years old, three or four years old, we'd gone through a tropical storm and stayed inside our, our house that we rented. And so, if you've ever been in there for at the beach and raining cats and dogs and you're ready to get those kids out so David went out we went walking along the beach and as he walked along the beach he got too far in the water and this rip current just grabbed him and was pulling him out there and he said dad and I can still remember we talked David and I talked about that last night and I reached over and grabbed him and I could full pull the feel the force of those rip coins, pulling us out in that direction. I dug my heels in and stayed in that coat. You can't have my son. And you and I hear and feel the rip currents of the culture around us, and it's so strong, and it's causing us to kind of uh, compromise our Christian convictions. Time to stand up. If you have your hymnal, would you turn with me in 657? <laughs> 657 was written by a man who on his dying bed, um, he told them, stand up for Jesus, 657. And so a guy took this and made a song out of it. Oh, yeah, I'm on the wrong page. Six fifty-seven. I'll get it in a minute.
No, that's not. Yeah, 657. I got it. His slogan that he was given was, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And there was a guy named Robert Ingersoll in the um, 60s and 50s who would go around to different uh, cities at a convention site. And he would um, put down Christian convictions, put down God's word. And he'd stand up and say, how many of you believe this? This is just fairy tales. It doesn't really matter. How many of you believe it? And nobody would stand up. And two teenage girls got up and walked down the aisle singing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. And the papers the next day said, two Christian girls ran Robert Ingersoll out of, hand, out of town singing, stand up, Stand up for Jesus. Now we need to stand up, and it does that individually in your homes, in our community, in our nation, in our world. But it begins with each one of us. Now we had several kids to make decisions for Christ uh, in our vacation Bible school. And they need to come forward and, and join this church and be baptized. Follow up that decision of walking. And it was so great. I'd look in those kids' eyes and I'd say, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? And they'd say, yes, sir. And just hold them by the shoulders and say, he accepted. And I'd say, did you ask Jesus in your heart? Yes, sir. Then where is he? And say, he's in my heart. And I'd say, amen. But it needs to be followed up by joining this church. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to be baptized. But it needs to be done if it's going to last. So let me encourage you to do that. So would you stand as Jeff comes to lead us and stand up for Jesus?